Welcome to The World Awaits. Travel tales to inspire your wanderlust. I'm Kirsty Bedford, journalist, editor and travel writer. And I'm Belinda Jackson, author, travel journalist and columnist. And we're your weekly co-hosts. Welcome back to The World Awaits. How are you all? It's been pretty hot here in Melbourne in the last week, which has been a really nice change, actually, because it's been a really mild summer, don't you reckon, Belle? Um, yeah, um, I thought... Too mild. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, beautiful hot days and then kind of not great days. Um, this past week, I've been full steaming here at Signature. We've got holidays with kids, which has just gone to print, and vacations and travels next off the rank. And on a personal note, I've been head down working on my new crime manuscript and I'm putting it out there because then, then I have to do it. I have to finish it this first half of the year. So, um, And also, obviously, school's back now. So I've been wrangling teens, trying to get Mr. 15 enthusiastic about school, which has been really fun. What about you, Uh Well, yes, school is back and everybody in the house is happy about that. So um, to celebrate, I nicked off to uh, the first industry lunch of the year and um, the Sunshine Coast always is the one that fires the starting bell for the year. So yeah, they came on down to Melbourne. Love the Coast. Love them. And you know, they are pitching themselves as the craft beer capital of Australia with a craft beer trail. And, it, and so they were telling us all about the new things that were opening there. And the newest one is uh, Column Beer Company. And also Broom Brewer Matzos has just opened an outpost in Yumundi. You know where the markets are. Mm-hmm. The markets. And if you're looking to stay, there's new accommodation, including a 32-room Essence Boutique Hotel in lovely, lovely Peregrine Beach. There's a couple of new farm stays, one called 66 and another one called Seven Peaks. And a three-bedroom cabin at the Crocodile Hunter Lodge, which is attached to the Australia Zoo. So it's it's pitched at families. Yeah, so good for families up there and everyone else. And and foodies as well. They have a pile of food festivals coming in, coming up, including the Curated Plate and the Gourmet Mary Valley Food Festival. And Gourmet, can I just have a little um, editorial note here? It is spelled G-O-U-R-M-A-Y. And that is a... I know, I was looking at it going, go, oh my goodness, someone's here. wrong. But it's actually in May. It's so good. That's right. Okay, yeah. And also there's a new First Nations market that's run by the Cabby Cabby people, and that's being held at the Forest Glen markets throughout the year. And um, also, I mean, just getting to the Sunshine Coast just keeps getting easier. The purplest low-cost carrier, Bonza, has just announced flights. I can't say Bonza normally, sorry. I've got to say Bonza. Um, has just announced flights from Launceston in northern Tassie straight up into the Sunshine Coast from late March. Mm, good time to escape Melbourne winter because it's about obviously setting it around. Yeah, yeah any, no. any winter. Any winter. And while the low-cost carrier doesn't run out of Sydney due to a lack of flight slots there, it does fly to 12 destinations from the Sunshine Coast Airport, including three times a week to Melbourne. And we'll put all of this sunny, sunny goodness in the show notes. Sounds so good. And talking about Sunshine Coast, Booking.com has revealed the top 10 most welcoming places in Australia with Mobile and Mullaney on the Sunshine Coast in the top three. I've been trying to get to Mullaney since last year. As you know, Belle, oh my God, it just keeps turning to, to you know what. Um, anyway, so I am going there this year. I am definitely getting there this year. So um, it's top of my list. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Get up there. So it must be good because the survey um, was compiled from more than 3 million travellers' reviews to get those results. 300. 
Three hundred million. Oh my goodness! It was three hundred. I just had a I just had a zero meltdown. Mammoth effort. What an enormous effort. And um and it says that these traveler review awards are its way of acknowledging the best in the business. So without further ado, the top spot went to a town in Victoria. Can you do the drum roll? I know my drum rolls are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty pathetic drum roll. Okay. All right. The top. I'll have to DIY drum roll. Yeah. Okay, the top spot is Dalesford. Dalesford. I love Dalesford. I love Dalesford so much. So um, if you do go, because I went there actually, I've been there a few times, but um, I did go there for us to do a story. And so I I covered quite a bit that time. So there's a couple of things I... I mean, there's lots of things I'd say to do, but um, and I'll put a link in the show notes to my story so you can have a read if you want to go there. But a couple of things I'll just point out is um, don't miss a walking tour with Linda from Alice's Journeys. She's got a really long family history in the region, actually, and um, and so she uh, and she literally holds the keys to the city. So you can go with her, and she pulls out the keys and lets you in to like you know, churches where at times when no one's in there and a former courthouse and the old police lockup. And she just walks you around and lets you into all these um, bu- historic buildings, which is really cool. And she knows everything, like every stat you'll need to know about the town. So, um, and it's really interesting. She talks about the fascinating history, um, gold rush history. So definitely worth, uh, yeah, have, looking up Alice's journeys. And also while you're there, Obviously, I mean, the lake house is just the absolute um, gem in the crown of Dalesford. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, it was started by Ella Wolf Tasker, who's a doyen of regional dining in Australia. And funny story, but when her and her husband first arrived there, the property was just this like hideous, massive, steep slope. And there was like a red back infested car wrecks all over it and a lone dying eucalyptus tree. Um and now it's the most beautiful, pristine um, lakeside um, luxury accommodation, spa, and um, a multi-ordering restaurant. Um, and yeah, so you can you literally would go there and wouldn't even want to leave. Um, it's just so beautiful. So yeah, so we'll put that link in. So if anyone wants to go, they can um, have a few ideas about what to do. Yeah, absolutely. And in second and third spots in the Booking.com rewards are Montville and Mullaney up on the Sunshine Coast, uh, as we said. And fourth was another spa town just north of Dalesford, which is lovely, lovely Hepburn Springs. I was up there just recently and it's it's sensational. It's such a great spa town. Like literally you walk around with a cup drinking the spa water if that's, <laughs> your, if that's your bag. Um, so yeah, look, Victoria took out all the gongs. Uh, we've got Ocean Grove on the Bellarine Peninsula there and Hillsville in the Yarra Valley, also in the top 10. Oh, Hillsville's so deserving, I think. So another one of my favourite towns of Victoria. So every time someone comes, visits from New Zealand, we take them to Hillsville because the township is so beautiful, like quaint little villagey sort of township with really gorgeous little boutique shops and um, and the Hillsville Sanctuary is just such a great place for families, but also for people outside of Australia or even within Australia, because you get it's just a really good chance to get up and close with Australian wildlife. And um, as per its name, it is actually sanctuary because, you know, I get a bit worried about the whole zoo thing. But um, Hillsville is a place where they really care for endangered wildlife and they have a breeding and recovery programs uh, and um it feels like you're just walking around, um, it, you know, a, a literally a wildlife park rather than a, an actual enclosed zoo. Um, and afterwards, 
you can actually call into the Urban Salador Innocent Bystander, which has amazing wine, um, for a bite to eat, sneaky little wine tasting, possibly a wine tasting wine to take home. Well, you've also got four pillars up there too, you know, which has got absolutely beautiful cellar door. Like it's just, it's divine. I love it. And um, I love it hard. And um, Mount Tambourine in Queensland was the next on the list. And the final three were Margaret River in WA, uh, Armadale in northern New South Wales and Mudgee in the west. And that'll be the wine scene in Mudgee that has a load of fans. And did you know, I actually went to high school in Armadale. Amazing. I know, I know. Cue to very thick stockings because it gets very cold there. (laughs) (laughs) You went to high school in Armadale. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it snows up there. I was... um, you used to play hockey in the snow as a as a wee girl. Wow. There you go. Yeah, froze my chops off. But with all those Victorian towns in the top ten, it just shows what a welcoming bunch we are. You're listening to The World Awaits. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform. My guest this week is artist, textile designer and compulsive traveller Chris Chun, who divides his time between Melbourne and Bangkok. Chris is an Australian-Chinese fine artist whose work has appeared in collaborations with companies all around the world, and he's inspired by the Chinese zodiac, which makes him perfect to talk about the Lunar New Year, also known as the Chinese New Year, and how you can welcome in the Year of the Dragon. Chris, welcome to The World Awaits. It's so lovely to have you here with us. Oh, thanks, Belinda. I love your podcast. Really, really thrilled to chat with you. Can I just say, um, for anybody listening, I did not pay Chris to say that. Um, so, so it's um, it's so lovely to have you on, and and the perfect time as well because we're coming into Lunar New Year, and you're of um, Australian Chinese heritage. You grew up here in Melbourne, and you've been living overseas for most of your life. But your work also is inspired by the Chinese zodiac. So it's it's the perfect time to have you here as our guest. Um, as we enter the year of the dragon. Tell us a little about, first, what your background is about, you know, growing up in, in Australia. I'm not going to name the decade. Um, you can do that if you want, it, with that with that very different background. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Melbourne born and bred. So um, I, grew up in the, I grew up in the 70s and um, I was surrounded by chinoiserie wallpaper and, um, you know, antiques in my household. And my, my father was a chef and restaurateur, so... You know, growing up around really great food, and we were really lucky when we were growing up because um, mum and dad used to take us on these massive overseas holidays, you know, every few years. So, you know, I've had that experience of growing up, um, traveling and eating great food. And, um, you know, I think back then, before food blogging became um, really anything, you know, I remember taking photos of food back then because, um, food's such an important part of, you know, Chinese culture and, and our family and my dad being a chef that, you know, food, food and great, great meals are like, they're like photos really for me, you know, a great trip. So often, I often, um, get reminded of trips through food I've eaten rather than just looking at, you know, pictures of tourist sites and that sort of thing. So. Oh yeah. You, you must, you must be one of the first food bloggers on that one. And that's, um, and that's a, a really key part of Lunar New Year as well. But, but but before we go there, so you were so you were living in Melbourne and travelling across. So whereabouts is your family from then? So I'm second generation Australian born Chinese. Mm. So my mum was born here and my dad's came out 
it came out during the 60s, just before Chairman Mao um, came into power. So Dad's from this village just outside Guangzhou. I think the India region is called Guangdong. And mm. like he had a choice of, um, they had a choice of going to Australia, America, or the UK. And I think he chose Australia because it was closer and he had some relatives here. So. Oh, amazing. I mean, and Guangzhou is so famous for its food as well. So before we get into delicious things to eat over Lunar New Year, tell us a bit about the Chinese Zodiac and and how it all ties in and why we're going into the Year of the Dragon. Yeah, so, the, so um, is it Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year? They call it Lunar New Year now to make yeah. it more inclusive because mm. like it's celebrated by 10 countries in the Asia, Asia region. But... Um, Lunar New Year starts on February the 10th and it's slightly different to the Gregorian calendar or the Western calendar because Lunar New Year always starts on a different day. So if you're born in January or February, you actually need to check your horoscope because you may in fact be, be the year of the animal beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, um, and... So the Chinese zodiac is uh, a Chinese astrology, and, and it basically determines one's personality and destiny based on your birth. So I guess it's like the Western horoscope, except rather than being by a month, it's by year. Right. And the Chinese zodiac cycle is every twelve years, so that's why there's twelve animals in the, in the sign. Right. And so, and and getting down to it, what is your so what is your zodiac sign? Your Chinese zodiac sign. Um, well, for those that know me, I'm a pig actually. Makes sense because I love food. <laughs> well, what characteristics do do pigs have? Well, I'm only going to tell you the good characteristics. Well, yeah, so no, don't talk pig, about pigs. Are, so pigs are very, um, pig, pigs are arbiters of good taste and like the finer things in life. They're very loyal and they can be a little bit lazy and, um, <laughs> procrastinate, which is me too. I mean, and I think it makes sense because... The pig's actually the last animal in the zodiac cycle, so it makes sense. So the story was that the pig was, you know, went to have some food and, you know, had a little sleep before he crossed the finish line to, you know, determine the, the order of the of the animals in the zodiac sign. So so it was a race then that, that, that they said that that's how you know um, the flow of the... It was a race. So there's a few theories, but the most common one is that the Jade Emperor... Um, Wanted some guardians for heaven and for um, for an animal for an animal to be the symbol for the for the t- for the time. So he said this great race, and the first twelve animals that crossed the line each got their own year. Right. Okay. So what are you, Bill? What what sign are you? I'm a dog, which kind of which kind of works in because I love dogs. Um, I have a real affinity with them. I, I have several who sometimes decide that they want to get on the podcast as well and have a little bark in the background. Um, you know, we're supposed to be pretty loyal and, uh, and, and I, and I, and I, yeah, I, when I found that I was in, that was my year, I, I really got it. You know, it's like, I, I feel, I feel that we, we share a lot of, you know, we're quite tenacious and, um, and we share a lot of those characteristics. So, um, but this year then, this is this is an especial year because this is the year of the dragon. So, and and dragons are supposed to be the luckiest of the twelve animals of the Chinese zodiac. They're supposed to be charismatic. They're intelligent. They're confident. They're powerful. 
they're naturally lucky, they're gifted, like they're they're just everything. This is like this is like the 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 year everybody wants to be born in, isn't it? I know you're going to see lots of babies born in China <laughs> this year because a lot of <laughs> a lot of couples actually you know wait until the year of the dragon because it's very auspicious. I mean, the dragon's the only um, mythological creature in the in the Chinese zodiac, and um, it was used to be it was used as a symbol for the imperial courts during the 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 Qing dynasty. So. You know, only the royal family could use the dragon as a motive, really. But um, 2024, yes, the year of the wood dragon, it's really exciting. So um, this year is believed to be a year of opportunity and renewal, career, work and success. So, and the wood the wood element represents vitality and creativity. So, so just explain to me a bit about the wood, because you've got uh, each of, the, like, you've got a, a series of different... Um, uh, like there's wood and iron and others. How do you know? Um, how, explain to me how that works. Yeah, so there's five. There's five different elements in the Chinese zodiac and Feng Shui. So there's fire, wood, water, metal, and earth. Right. So the way you can find out what element you're born is that if you were born in a year ending in zero and one, you're metal. Okay. So I'm a metal key. Right. If you're born in um, two and three, you are water. Four and five is wood. Mm. Six and seven is fire. And eight and nine is, what was the last one? What happened? I said before. Oh. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> is earth, is earth. Sorry, is earth. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so does that, so does that change you? So this is the year of the wood dragon. Wood. Yeah. So, so what does that mean? Is that, is that, uh, I mean, the year of the dragon is the best of the, is the best of the animals, um, which is the best of the elements or are they, are they not as, um, uh, rated as, as the as the animals well each element has a each element has a specific quality so you know they're both there's no sort of good or bad so wood wood because it's you know it's all about growing and and you know trees and plants so it yeah. represents vitality and creativity so these next two years are about you know growing and looking for opportunities and um you know just um following your dreams really Oh, that sounds fantastic. And like, because the dragon is so, um, as you said, the dragon's full of energy and drive, like it's a perfect combination to um, get things done these next two years. Uh, no wonder everybody's trying to have a baby in, in, in the year of the wood dragon, that symbol of power and nobility and, and good fortune. You know, what are some of the key things that, that um, families do at this time? Um, well, they eat. There's definitely a reunion dinner. That's definitely part of the, an integral part of Lunar New Year. It's about spending time with the friends and family. And um, if you're single and a child, you get lots of money because you get given these red packets by relatives and your parents. So I remember growing up as kids, we loved Lunar New Year because, you know, it was a time for us to get lots of money to, to you know, go shopping or whatever. And I mean, I think the the sad thing is I don't really know about the the customs and traditions of Lunar New Year so much 
when I was growing up and it's only sort of been recently that, you know, I've looked at it, incorporated into my artwork that, it, you know, it's really taken on more res resonance for me and stuff. So it's been, it's, it's quite fascinating. So my, um, yeah, one of my, one of my aims of my artwork is to try and, you know, educate people about, you know, traditions and, and the customs of Lunar New Year and, you know, how they can incorporate that into everyday life. So if I was to sit down at the table at this time of year, um, at, at Lunar New Year, are there particular foods that you, that you'll find on the table? Yes. Yes, there are. There's, I mean. Oh, make me hungry. Food, food is very steep and simple. So, you know, anything that, that represents prosperity and longevity. So noodles is a good one. Mm -hmm. Noodles represent long life. So noodles are always served at Lunar New Year or, or birthdays as well because, you know, it symbolises long life. Um, you'll also find a whole steamed fish that represents family and community. And a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of, chi a lot of foods, their Chinese name um, is similar to other names which represents wealth and prosperity. So, um, for instance, dumplings are served because, you know, the shape represents gold ingots. Yeah. I mean, you know, in Chinese culture, you know, wealth and prosperity, that's quite important. So that's why, that's why they'll do anything to like, um, you know, get, encourage get more, wealth. Get more wealth yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. I'm up for that. So long life and wealth, that sounds. That sounds brilliant. Um, and are there any other dishes? Is there some, is there things that you eat particularly on that on that big night? I mean, I've been down I've been down in Chinatown in Melbourne uh, on the eve of Lunar New Year, and it's just mayhem. You know, everybody's just getting organised, getting everything clean, getting everything ready. You see those red envelopes. Um, there's you know everyone's talking about lucky numbers and 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 getting ready to just well to eat as a big part of it. Are there, um, so what else would you have on the table, particularly at that time? Um, maybe we would have some rice balls called mm -hmm. Tang and, um, rice cage, rice cakes would have, would have lobster, would have crayfish, which is one of my favorites, um, with noodles, um, maybe abalone. So we're talking, we're talking wealth here, right? We took, yes, it's all, it's all, it's all about wealth. I mean, I think one of the, I think one of the best things to do during learning year is, you know, just grab your friends and family and go and have one of these amazing, um, set menu banquets at, at one of the restaurants here in Melbourne. Sure. Fantastic. I mean, and is that, is know. that what you're, so what are you actually going to be doing? You're, you're just back in Melbourne now. You've come in from Hong Kong today. Is that, or yesterday? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I flew in from Hong Kong. Yeah, yesterday. So I am going to uh, I'll go to a Chinese re a Chinese restaurant that's um, a family favorite with my with my family. So go and tell me the name. You can do that. It's called it's called Rock Call in um, Glen Waverley. Okay, and what? And you it's it? been around. It's been a. Yeah, I'm showing my age now. If you if you know that I'm a pig, you know how old I am. But, <laughs> um, it's been around for. God, it's been around for 40 years. Amazing. Oh. Yeah. yeah right. So my, um, my uncle and auntie used to, used to own it and then they sold it to other owners, but because they've kept the same shifts and, um, 
you know, kept that whole tradition and standards up. It's, it's, um, you know, it's still going strong. And what do you order? Do you have a favorite dish when you go there? Um, well, I love steamed fish. That's my absolute favorite, you know, steamed, it's, um, ginger and spring onion and soy sauce and then the hot oil on top. It's my favorite oh, way of eating fish. Yeah. And, um, yeah, for a special treat, I do love my stir fried mud crab or crayfish with, with noodles. Oh, that sounds divine. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, um. We might pop that into the trip notes as well, because there's nothing like a recommend. Well, there's nothing like a recommendation from somebody who knows their food and where to eat it as well. So what else are you doing? So now, why are you back in Melbourne at the moment and what's happening for you during Lunar New Year here in Melbourne? So I'm here to see um, friends and family because the last time I was here was, God, 12, was 12 months ago when I had my exhibition at the Museum of Chinese Australian History. And that's so the last time we saw each other as well. That's the last time we saw each other. Yeah, too, which is really cool. absolutely beautiful. And that museum does that not have like one of the longest dragons in in like it just has this incredible um, um, displays of, of 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 Chinese culture there as well. I mean, they have yeah. So it's got so the museum has the longest dragon in the world. I'm pretty sure it's the world or the southern hemisphere. It's it's, a, it's so. Every, every lunar new year, it comes out and does a parade around Chinatown. So if you get a chance to go in on the weekend, go see the parade and go and have some, go and have some young child. And that, perfect. Oh, that just sounds fantastic. So is that something that happens at every, that's really a signature of lunar new year, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I remember as kids going to Chinatown, Mm. um, you know, going into, going to the city and seeing the dragon parade and then, you know, having yum char at one of the restaurants and then the lion the lions would come in and do their lion dance and um tradition to feed them you know they'd pretend to eat lettuce and you know you give them red packets and everything <laughs> what would happen to the lettuce would you actually put the lettuce in their mouths and- yeah and they, and they would pretend to they would yeah. pretend to eat it and you know make a big mess so there'd be lettuce all over the floor and <laughs> It was it was really fun with the drums and the cymbals and, and that sort of thing. And so. it's loud, isn't it? Like, it's serious. It's loud. really loud. You've got loud line dancers. You've got the uh, the dragons coming out. Um, your kids are getting money from red envelopes. And and then everybody just eats an insane amount of food. That sounds that sounds sensational. And then... Oh, no, it's food. <laughs> it's a, it's a, kids get money. What, when do you actually stop getting the money? Is it kind of when you hit your teenage years, or when do they say? Um, yeah, teenage? I think I stopped. Yeah, I stopped. To get, I stopped getting it when I. Um, yeah, I think after twenty one, I stopped getting. Oh, it's better than. And now, and now I give it to my nephews and nieces and um, younger, younger, younger members of the family. So it's, um, yeah, it's fun. It's funny. Right. And you've always, you always got to remember that the notes, the notes in the red envelope have to be crisp. So there can't be any fold marks or, you know, torn corners or anything. So it's, it's actually money. It's not like you're giving, like you're actually giving them the cash, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's better to give cash. I mean, some people give gold coins or whatever, but I think, you know, cash is, cash is the best. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, and does it have to total a particular number as well? I mean, is, is it eight is a lucky number? At this time? Well, eight's considered a lucky number, but I think, you know, I remember as kids, if we got, if we got anything lower than $5, we were disappointed. So. <laughs> <laughs> we were like that we, aunt we were, that gives we were, Yeah, we, we were really spoiled. So 
So now when I, you know, so now for me, when we give money, I'm thinking, oh, do I give 50 or a hundred, you know? So let's that, yeah, that's just, it's, oh my goodness. No, Cause I want to be, I want to be known as the, I want to be known as the fun, the fun uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Okay. Note to sell. Start saving up for Chinese New Year. Um, so now in Melbourne, then you've got you. I mean, you 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 know you have this you know this connection um, with it. But what are you doing? So last year you had uh, a beautiful exhibition, uh, uh, um, and this year what are you doing in Melbourne for Lunar New Year? Um, so I I've been commissioned by the City of Melbourne to design six uh, six dragon posters commit to commemorate. Year of the Dragon, which is really exciting. So these are going to be placed all around Chinatown. And um, because I've trained as a textile designer, I thought I'm going to incorporate pattern because that's what I love to do. So I've incorporated pattern and dragons together. So you're going to be walking around Chinatown and suddenly you're going to see this mass, these massive two meter by one and a half meter um, wallpaper prints, you know, just plastered on the side of buildings and laneways and so I think it's going to be really fun and exciting for people to you know discover and think oh my god what the hell is that doing there you know oh amazing that sounds fantastic yeah so they're going to be full of color and um you know and the Lunar New is also known as a spring festival so uh, it's um so and often and so I've used a peony rose because that represents the wood element as well in lots of traditional Chinese art so basically I've created um some posters with the dragon and the peony rose. Oh, how beautiful. I can't wait to see them. And how long are they going to be up for? I think they're going to be up for the whole year, oh, actually. Wow. Yeah, oh, so um, so Friday, Friday the 9th of February, they're going to be installed. And that's the day before, so so the 10th? Yeah, that's late. the day before uh, Lenny starts. Right. And how long do the celebrations normally go on for? Usually two weeks, so there's normally fifteen days of the festival, and there's some there's some rule there's some rules for do's and don'ts for Lunar New Year. So the other the other bonus for Lunar New Year is that you have to wear something new on this day. Right, a new piece so of clothing, or not wear anything old um, clothing. Um, you cannot you cannot cut your hair or do any housework or wash any clothes on the first few days of Lunar New Year because it's bad luck. Because the Chinese believe that you're, you know, cutting hair, you're cutting off your finances and you're sweeping away, you're sweeping away your wealth. So, you know, you can just have great food, wear new clothing and just relax for the first two days of the, of the festival. Oh, that sounds brilliant. And that reminds me of the other thing that uh, last time I was in uh, Chinatown in Melbourne, uh, the day before was that the hairdressers were packed, absolutely packed with everybody getting their haircut. Yeah, that's why. That's why. <laughs> but they themselves all ready to go because, of course, you know, you've got a couple of days of hanging out with family and friends and seeing people that you don't always catch up with. You want to look great as well. So you've got new clothes and your new haircut and you're looking fantastic. That sounds really amazing. Um, and then. Well, yeah, I guess it's about, it's, it's like setting your, it's like setting the intention of your best self for the, for the coming year. So that's why they, yeah, that's why they do it. Absolutely. And so your, in, the intentions for you for this year, I mean, your art has gone global through collaborations and, you know, you've, and you've also been doing a lot of things for, you know, packaging for Lunar New Year products and, 
and and things like that. And and I think you were in Rome this year as well, weren't you? Um, as well, I mean, you travel you travel enormously around the world with your work. So just um, tell me a little bit about how you incorporate the that you know those those elements of chinoiserie or of of Chinese influence in your work. Um, well, I think I think. Um... I think for me, like having a having a story to tell is is really important. No, I, do, I didn't. I don't think I really embraced my my Chinese cultural background when I was growing up, and I think um, I think it's only been like the last, I guess, the last decade because I painted my first zodiac back in two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it hasn't been like an overnight success story, but you know, it's been this gradual thing. But I think I think being Australian, we have this. We have this new way of looking at things. Like we don't really have this historical um, background as say they do in America and and the and Europe, for example. So, you know, and we have this really great lifestyle and this, you know, I guess this sense of wanderlust and and um, I guess opportunity looking at things with new eyes. So I think, um, you know, for me looking at the Zodiac and, you know, trying to incorporate it in my work and then, um, you know, putting in elements of my textile design background and, you know, the symbology of certain motifs that are used in traditional Chinese art and incorporating that. I sort of, you know, I sort of see my work and my Zodiac as like little good luck charms and, and amulets for people to have in their home or home office and stuff. So, you know, it's been, it's been a really fun, um, journey so far and I think you know I, I did see a I did see a uh, a fortune teller uh, 18 months ago in Vancouver actually that special uh, that specializes in feng shui and she said oh these next two years are going to go gangbusters for you and I was like really she mm-hmm. said yeah so I mean for the pig so um I mean this year for the for lunar new year for the year of the dragon I've done I've done like um, seven different projects around the world with people and people have just found me online I haven't really asked them how they've found me but you know they've just contacted me and said oh do you want to design a, um, a peacock in Hong Kong so yeah I've got I've got a two meter peacock in one of the shopping malls in in Hong Kong as part of the Lunar New Year festival so I was just I was just in Hong Kong a few days ago so that was really fun to see amazing and what other projects? What are some of the other projects? Um, so I've actually got another project with um, Haven Retail Group here in Melbourne. So at the Pines Shopping Centre and Forest Hill Shopping Chase, mm-hmm. I they got me to design a dragon, and so um, they have they created these dragon tote bags, which you can get if you spend $75 or over and um, I think if you take a selfie you can go into the draw to win one of my dragon prints um, and then I've done a big collaboration with this uh, luxury hair and beauty brand called Orbay in the States and so um, they commissioned me to design their Lunar New, Pack- New, Lunar New Year packaging which is the first time they've done it with, a, with an outside artist which was really fun and um, yeah, it sold out too, which is really nice. So that was really nice to to hear. Oh, um, and that is that is fantastic to hear. And it's interesting, isn't it, that um, like you say, you you didn't really tap into it as a child. And I think you know, really growing up in Australia in the seventies and eighties was all about just 
keeping your head down and, and, and trying to blend in as much as you could really and about not standing out. And that's so different to how cultures uh, today in Australia that, that, you know, if you've got a particular food, you're really proud of that food and you bring it in and, you know, you like it's not the time that everybody wanted a white ham sandwich in their lunchbox. I think that's... I know, I know. It's funny. It's really funny. Like my dad, um, when my dad opened his first restaurant, Mountain Village, back in... 1978 I I didn't I didn't even like Chinese food back then he had to go he had to go to the local um pie shop and get me a meat pie (laughs) (laughs) one of the amazing things he one of the amazing gifts he left for my brothers and I is that we're we're all really good cooks so um we're the cooks in in our relationship in our in our relationships um yeah so I mean He's given us this gift of, you know, having great food and being able to cook and, um, you know, just really enjoying life. But I think, I think he, I think he would be really proud actually. I think, he, I think he would be, I don't think it was, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, th- yeah, I think he'd be really proud actually. Yeah. Now I've, um, I've got one final question for you and it's the question we ask all of our guests and that is. Tell me, and I'm, I'm sure this is going to be bizarre. What is your most bizarre travel moment? Oh, I've got a few actually, <laughs> but I'll just tell you. One. Okay, I'm unsurprised. <laughs> Go on, tell me. So, um, on my first on my first trip to Europe, I I, I did a overland safari in in Africa from um, from Joburg to Nairobi and. You know, all the kids thought it was Bruce Lee. It was so funny. And um, I think that's why, I think that's why I wasn't, I think that's why we, we, we weren't attacked or anything because on our, on our last day in Nairobi, there were riots. And I remember going to the bank to get some money and they locked the doors and, and locked us in. They said, you stay here because it's not safe. And so, you know, we turned around and there would, there would be these protesters running by the bank and then. The um the police were chasing after them as well, and then you'd get this next mob of the press reporters chasing after them as well, and and you know they let us out and they said, oh, you know, we think you should you got to, definitely got to go back to your you know hotel or hostel because it's um it's not safe. And I thought, stuff this up. I'm going to go to the markets. I haven't bought any souvenirs or anything. So I was lucky that uh, one of the people that I was with was this like six foot four, um, colored from Cape town. He looked really scary. So we went shopping together. He was actually scared. I was like, no, no, come on, let's go. Let's go, let's go shopping or whatever. <laughs> and so we ended up, we ended, we ended up spending all day at the market shopping. And then we got back to the hostel and, you know, walking by the road at night and everything. And we got back and, um, the receptionist here was like, oh my God, where have you been? Like, you know, it's not safe out there. Apparently, um, Apparently one of the one of the guests was 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 stabbed. Oh, I know. And and you and you were saved. Can I point out that it, for those that, that haven't seen Chris, that you're not exactly a tall, intimidating person yourself. So you just wandered miraculously through through this this riot scene, shopping for your souvenirs. <laughs> <laughs> because I also thought I was Bruce Lee. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I, I think our last, actually our last guest that we had on has been mistaken for Freddie Mercury. So we're just going to, we're going to make a, 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 we're going to make a rule now. If if you don't look like somebody famous, we're not interviewing you on the podcast. 
Yeah. Well, look, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope you have a great time uh, back home in Melbourne celebrating Lunar New Year with the family. Uh, I hope that the year of the dragon lives up to it, and that um, and that all pinks and dogs uh, thrive in in the in the upcoming year. And I can't wait to go down to Chinatown and just to hit the yum chow because uh, the food at the moment just sounds absolutely sensational. So thank you for joining us on the World Awake. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Belle, and Kung Fa Choi. So happy happy Chinese New Year to you and and to you too as well. That was Shinwa 3 artist Chris Chun talking about how you can celebrate the Lunar New Year, which takes place this Saturday, and the celebrations continue throughout the month. If you'd like to see Chris's artwork, including his fabulous Chinese Zodiac series, visit his website, chrischun.com. Our tip this week is about travel insurance and I want you all to stop yawning right now. This is really important <laughs> advice to help you save money so you've got more money to spend on travel, which is my total motivation. So financial comparison site Mozo has released its travel insurance report and found that we, Aussies, could be saving up to $167 by shopping around for a better deal. Yeah, and interestingly, it found travel insurance costs have increased by 24%, mainly um, unfortunately, for those in cruise and ski. So cruise travel insurance increased the most at nearly 32%, and ski travel insurance was the next biggest increase, and comprehensive travel insurance came in a close third. Ah, oh, far out. Okay, well, the latest travel figures confirm that Indonesia, New Zealand, and the US are the top travel destinations for short-term travellers, and the research from Mozo found Australians travelling to these tourist hotspots could save up to $100 on the travel, the average cost of insurance by comparing policies. Okay, so what are the key things you need to do then and check when comparing policies? Because um, it's all very well telling you that you can um, save money, but how do you do it? So every travel policy gives you a page of cover info, which can be quite difficult to interpret. You know, those big long things, you know, paperwork. Boring, also boring. Yeah, yeah, and it's always in tiny print. But... um, Make sure, even if the list is really long, you have to look for very specific things. So there's a couple of obvious ones, but sometimes people don't check for these, like hospital stays or lost luggage. So when comparing travel insurance policies, check that you have sufficient coverage for the big three, which is medical, cancellation and luggage cover. And this, so once you've got those three locked down, that can ensure that you're not overpaying for coverage that you don't need. And I've heard this a lot, but Moiso says buy travel insurance as soon as you book your holiday because that makes sure that you're covered for cancellation from the purchase date. So if something does go wrong and you have to cancel your trip, then you're not out of pocket. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The World Awaits. And if you'd like to help support our production costs, you can buy us a coffee at coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com forward slash The World Awaits so we can continue to bring you inspirational travel interviews with the world's best. That's a wrap for The World Awaits this week. Click to subscribe anywhere you listen to your favourite pods. And where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm at Kirsty Writes on Instagram. That's K-I-R-S-T-I-E Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. And where can people find you, Belle? You can find me at globalsalsa.com or on Insta at global underscore salsa. Thanks for listening. See you next week.